0: Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films, everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today we're talking about making micro-budget features, the new found footage horror screamers and how to actually make and release indie films and how to raise finance for them as well. I am Giles Alderson, producer of horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, director of the vampire documentary World of Darkness, and the psychological horror feature film The Dare, co-written with Johnny Grant, and the new vegan documentary. Myself and Dan have been very busy, news of which will be coming soon. So before I tell you, though, about our collaboration with Raindance... Yes, our collaboration with Raindance. Let's first go to our segment called Indie Filmmaker Shoutouts. We want to keep supporting indie filmmakers like ourselves, so we want to start shouting about screeners, kickstarters, Indiegogos, fundraisers, etc. So if you have anything to promote, then remember, uh, message me on Twitter at Joss Alderson or at FilmmakersPod, and we'll give it some love. So this week's shoutouts are to Ethel, short film, it's now on Indiegogo that is the team behind Tango One Trish Ryberchik and Sasha Bennett who were on the podcast not so long ago and they're making their film along with director Johnny Wright about Alzheimer's it's such a worthy cause they have Professor Green JJ Hamblett and Miriam Margolis in the cast no less, so head to Indiegogo, search Ethel Short Film or why not head to a 365 Flicks podcast have Trish talking about the whole film on the latest podcast so do that support them if you can Drew Horner and his film Exist it's a psychological thriller horror about mental health similar tone at the moment and it's halfway through its Indiegogo campaign any help you can give him and that film Exist much appreciated um, so I've already donated to both if you want to support if you want to support the indie filmmakers click on the links in the show notes or if nothing else find them on twitter and retweet them show support that's all you can do so other shout outs to our big uh tfp tribe the guys who push and retweet and show us some love for doing what we do for free and making us feel warm and fuzzy inside as they do it and this week's shout outs are to will kenning Thank you, dude. Uh, Director Neil Johnson, you've been brilliant this week. Thank you, man. Really appreciate all your support. Um, Shari LaShar, Simeon Willis, Stu Laurie, and the Fair City Podcast, Steve and Dave. Uh, thank you not only for having me as a guest on your podcast because you made me laugh your real joy um that podcast will be out soon so why not follow them on twitter and you'll be the first to hear that but also just generally for all your love and support as well so thank you guys and girls i really really do appreciate it keep retweeting keep telling people about the podcast and get the love out there more people hear about it more people will learn all the stuff we've learned especially last week's podcast with um, Peter Dunphy I mean that's just incredible if you've not heard that go there listen to that all about SEIS raising finance talking to investors it's invaluable as a filmmaker you need to know this stuff it often doesn't get taught it's on the podcast it's free head there now the podcast before this one subscribe to us on iTunes Um, really means a lot to us if you haven't already but what we the most important thing here is we really appreciate the time you take to listen to us so thank you um, so before i introduce this week's guest let me tell you about raindance raindance is not only a brilliant film festival but it also runs amazing film courses they are massive supporters of indie films like ourselves so we got together and thought we would support each other to give you discounts on their courses I cannot recommend their courses highly enough. So to get a discount means you have no excuses not to learn to be a better filmmaker. Honestly, I'm over the moon that we can provide this for you. So, I sat down for a quick chat with Elliot Grove, the founder of Raindance, to announce this. Have a listen. So, I am here with Raindance Film Festival and Training Centre founder Elliot Grove. Hello, Elliot. It's the Filmmakers Podcast. Welcome to Raindance. How are you? Oh man, I'm good. I'm really good. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm really excited about our collaboration and we're announcing it now that Raindance and the Filmmakers Podcast are joining forces. And this is just super, super news. You know what? Pain is temporary, but film is forever, but forever film has pain. So mm-hmm. we got to help each other. And that's great to be with you guys. That's great work. I love what you're doing. Thank you. And we love what you're doing. It's all about supporting indie filmmakers, which is what we do is what Raindance do. So a great side of this is that Raindance are giving us a discount on their courses if you're listening to the Filmmakers Podcast. So you wonderful people out there, now you can get a wonderful discount on Elliot's courses. Do you know how much the percentage is yet, Elliot? No, no one's told me what the percentage is. Okay, I'm about to tell you. Um, So first of all, before we do that, can you tell us about the latest course that is happening on the 18th?
1: 18th of June, that's a Monday night here at Craven Street next to Charing Cross. Kira Ann Pelican is doing a course called Moneyball for filmmakers, this is where you can predict your income. Now, she's did some study on Facebook. Did you know that, that if you have as few as 50 Facebook fans or likes, they can tell whether or not you went to university, what sex you are, what race you are. And if you happen on your little minuscule Facebook, say something like, I don't not like what Israel's doing in Palestine, you're more likely to buy Nike trainers. And the inverse, if you're pro-Israeli, you're more likely to buy Adidas. And this is the information they're selling to the brands. So she goes off to Hollywood last summer and looks at the brands, if you like, of the characters in the tentpole big release American films. And was able to predict within a few percentage points of the opening weekend box office, which is terrifying.
0: It's terrifying and incredible at the same time. (laughs) So how do you make your You're film? I'm gonna say, yes.
1: And how do you make money? Mm-hmm. How can you sort of predict that? Mm-hmm. Moneyball for filmmakers and film investors. Right eighteenth of June. Now oh, what discount
0: did they tell you? So I've been told the discount code is RDPodcast twenty, which means it's twenty percent off. What? Yes. Anyone who's listening to this podcast gets twenty percent off at raindance. Oh my god, my bank manager's gonna kill me. I, I it's it, only I thought it was ten percent. No, too late, it's twenty, it's done. You've just well, oh, that's what I was told. Well, I hope then. nobody takes this course because we'll <laughs> lose money every time someone comes. Twenty percent. But, but sure? think of all those independent filmmakers you're going to be supporting and getting helping out in their careers. I know it's great. It's great. And but what's what's the code again? So RD Podcast Twenty. Go to the link in the show notes now. Click on that course. Type in RD Podcast Twenty, and you get twenty percent off. RD
1: Podcast off. Twenty. Yeah, which For means twenty
0: percent. Raindance Podcast. That's 20. a steal. It's, it's highway robbery. highway you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed uh, so uh, Elliot I'm honestly I'm overjoyed with what we're doing and the collaboration we're doing here so thank you very much for joining forces
1: and thank you and big blush for all those kind words that you've been saying about Rain Dance so thank no you problem
0: much. at all honestly it's a wonderful place here they've got so many great courses check out raindance.org and check out all their other courses honestly it's worth doing I've been on courses here and it's fantastic I promise you So I'm looking forward to our collaboration. There should be more of these coming up. So do stay tuned for now, Elliot. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. And welcome to Raindance. And welcome to the Filmmaker's Podcast. Cool. (laughs) that's wonderfully (laughs) cheesy. I love it. (laughs) Right. Now I'm with this week's show. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Raindance. Thank you, Elliot. We are delighted to join forces with you and offer 20% off to our filmmaking podcast gang. This is only for you, by the way. Only for the people who listen to the podcast or follow us on Twitter. No one else gets this. No one. So it's a little bit special. Remember RD Podcast 20. Feel special right now. I am. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Right. On to today's podcast. Joining us to talk about filmmaking, how to raise finance for your films and chat about his new horror movie Screamers is writer, producer, actor Tom Malloy. Now, we had a little bit of a problem with the podcast recording this week. It was on Skype, and Skype just messed us around, and it sounded terrible and echoey. You'll hear it. I've done my best to clean it up. But what it didn't do is record some of the beginning, so I'm going to do that now. So Tom is an award-winning actor. He, he wowed Hollywood at first with his stunning turn in the indie cult favourite Grave's End, which was produced by Oliver Stone. Tom actually sort of became a trendsetter. He's one of the first successful triple-hyphenate actor-writer-producers. Over the years, Tom has raised more than $25 million in private equity from independent finances, and has written, produced, and starred, or co-starred, in nearly all the films that his company, Trick Candle Productions, has made. Uh, some of these films include Hero of the Underworld, the film Ashley, uh, the dance romantic drama Love and Dancing, which is directed by Rob Iskove. He directed She's All That. And it stars Amy Smart, Tom obviously is in it, Billy Zane, Rachel Dratch, and Betty White. The films are the psychological thriller, The Alphabet Killer, which was directed by Rob Schmidt. He directed Wrong Turn. uh, And that stars Elijah Dushku, Kerry Illes, Tom obviously, Timothy Hutton, Michael Ironside, and Oscar winner Melissa Leo. And his first film that he produced. And the first one he raised the finance for, it's a thriller directed by Mary Lambert from who directed Pet Cemetery called The Attic. That stars John Savage, Tom obviously, and the now very famous Elizabeth Moss. And Tom's recent film is Screamers. It's a brilliant low-budget found footage horror that is out now. So, again, apologies for the bad quality of this uh, podcast recording nothing i can do about it but i still want you to hear it because it's so good so bear with us all right cool so without any further ado here's the podcast with the wonderful tom malloy enjoy it welcome to the filmmakers podcast tom
2: fantastic thank you for having me
0: oh it's an absolute pleasure honestly it's i can't wait to talk to you about all the bits and pieces it's quite a big extensive list of credits there and producing credits as well, and you've, you've, you've been working for a long time in this business.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you know, grinding along. There's been, um, you know, the business has changed in a lot of different ways. But um, hopefully I've been kind of riding the wave of that change in positive ways. And uh, things are going great, yeah.
0: Super, super. Yeah, no, the, the industry has changed massively over the last, well, 10 years for sure. But even in the last three years, it's changed again. It's like had another shift in the indie filmmaking world um and and that's a fascinating place to be if if you're doing well in it it's great it's it's tough for those people starting out but um it's a good place to be right now right indie film
2: uh you know i would say that there's definitely it's it's on the upswing there was a time when it was going really great you know maybe about g 15 years ago and then it started once people stopped buying dvds that that changed everything you know things went downhill but now it's kind of Coming back, people are starting to figure out the BOD markets and all that stuff, and it's hopefully on the upswing.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Good. I hope so, too. Let's let's talk about your start, because you were in a film called Grave's End, which is kind of your first movie, right?
2: Yeah, that was. That was, and, that was definitely my first movie.
0: Yeah. Wow. And uh, and Oliver Stone ended up being one of the producers on it, which is incredible. So y- you were an actor. That was your main drive to make indie films, was, was being an actor and putting yourself in, in roles, right?
2: right? That's how it started. It was, you know, after kind of Gravesend came out and gosh, we had Oliver Stone producing it and we we got it to a certain level and I was getting an agent and I I had big auditions. I realized that I needed to do more, you know, it it was like I was going up against established stars. And, um, I, so I just started kind of creating my own projects by learning everything about the business. And that was the first start that kind of pushed me into it, you know, and, and said, okay, now I got to, I got to learn how to write. I got to learn how to be a producer. I knew I, I could act. And those other things, I just started to just work hard and, and learn them all.
0: Mm. There's something
2: you say in your book, which is
0: which is fantastic. I've read it three times. Oh, uh, wow. It's honestly, for any indie filmmaker out there, you need to get this book, Bankroll. It's just wonderful. It really, really is for indie filmmakers everything you'd need um, to make your indie film. It's really, really good. And in that, you mentioned that you kind of have a 30-day window after you make whether you're in a film or you make an indie film where you're kind of hot or people have got an interest in you do you still feel that's the same way.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. You got to write, you got to definitely catch that buzz. You know, if you can get somebody to, uh, you know, respond and see that, it, it, you know, give it kind of that value that you have there. Um, uh, to that you know like i mean there's been times where a film's coming out and i i hadn't done anything and that was a big mistake you know i mean it's when when the film comes out that's when you want the publicist you want the bell rung you know you want somebody to you know you're the hot person for whatever forever let long if you can keep it going
0: yeah i would agree the same when, when i read that in your book i i think i just had my first big movie as an actor come out and i was I was over the moon. I was like, that's it. The phone's not going to stop ringing. Scripts are going to come in. This is life-changing. Not one thing came in, and it was because I didn't have a publicist. I didn't have a PR person to get me out there so people could see my face and see that I was actually in the film. And, and that's what you mention in the book. It's like, why wouldn't you? And I suggest that to any filmmaker now. Absolutely, you need to be doing whatever you can, whether it's getting on a podcast or um, yeah, getting some press. You have to do it.
2: Nobody generically is just going to find your film, you know, and that's, that's Mm -hmm. the thing that you have to know is that, um, yeah, everybody feels like it's almost like, you know, a lot of people, it's the same way with these, the Kickstarter campaigns, um, these people that, and, you know, I'm not a big Kickstarter guy or or anything. I I haven't really utilized the platform, but I do know that a lot of people will just launch a campaign and then hope that oh, magically 30 days from now, the money's all going to (laughs) appear.
0: Yeah, not a chance. Yeah, not unless you're a massive star. That does not happen. It just doesn't. Yeah, it's so true. Have you ever done a Kickstarter? Because a lot of your... I feel like you've invested in... You've found investors for your film rather than Kickstarter, but maybe you have. Have you done Kickstarter? No,
2: I haven't. You know, it, I mm. think that my... The reason I I didn't... I kind of rejected it at first is because I know the amount of work that people were putting in to get them successful. You know, like say they were going to do 50000 on Kickstarter. To get that money... It takes a lot. It takes a lot of work. And, I, you know, I felt that the same amount of work could go into closing one guy for $50,000 or one gal for 50000 At the same time, there's another aspect of it that every Kickstarter campaign, you know how many people ask me for money all the time, like friends? And it's like Mm – it's kind of like a – you know, an Amco or Amway, you know, where like you're asking your friends and family for money. And those aren't the people – that should be investing in your movies, you know. So it's like I don't, I don't want to hit up my family and friends, you know. And, and I, so I know like, what you
0: mean. But what the one good thing it does do, I think, with the Kickstarter is it does make people
2: aware of your film. That's it. You could build an audience. I remember my you friends. You build an audience. To too. You know. Yeah, and I was kind of shooting it, shooting it down, and and they said, well, you, you're starting to get a list, though. You're starting to get a list of people that are you know, support you. And I'm like, okay, there's so, yeah, it's, I can see where there's something to be said about that. So
0: there is so much to said, but it is a lot of hard work. You're absolutely right. You could go get an investor during that time. And really, you know, the month you'll spend doing your Kickstarter campaign, you could potentially go get an investor for 50 K. Absolutely. And um, before we get onto screamers, which I thoroughly enjoyed, it's a, really cool fan footage movie. Oh, thank you. I can't wait to talk about it. I think it's really interesting and how you made it and, and how it, you know, it's perceived so far in America before it comes out.
2: Now it's out on, uh, S V O D. so, um, uh, right now you'd have to get it, you know, like where you pay for it, iTunes, uh, Google play, like things like Amazon, uh, where it's, um, you know, where you, you're going to subscribe to prime and see it for free. That, that'll be in the summer. I think it will be about August or so. Okay. So right now, it's on the, any of the places where you have to, to pay for it, so it's kind of yes, you know, and also cable, like in demand, and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, great, great, good. Well, we'll come back to screamers in a bit. Let's talk about obviously your your journey as an indie filmmaker and becoming you know something of a, a hero in the indie film world and what you managed to do and and uh, what it, where that took you. So, let, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about uh, your first feature that you actually started to raise money for which was the attic uh how that came about how you actually managed to do it um with your production company trick candle productions was it was it did you did you find it easier than you thought it would what was the whole process there
2: well it you know initially came about i had i had another film that i was trying to get going i'd already made the decision that i was going to get be you know take the bull by the horns and get financing on my own and um it, you know, really wasn't working with, I, I had kind of fallen with a guy that was, um, you know, just a, a, a BS artist. You know, he was just talking trash <laughs> and he, he didn't, he didn't really have any power or anything, but he was kind of a manipulative guy. And so I, at that point, I just thought, what can I do? what I, I had given up so much power to him and kind of it put all the eggs in his basket that it, I was stuck. So what I did is I went and I said, okay, let me make a whole new different movie because that was a dance movie that I was developing. And so I wrote this, The Attic, and it kind of flowed out of me and I had the script and I just went nuts trying to look for it because at the same time, I had been married for about a year and then my wife at the time told me she was pregnant. So now I'm like, oh crap, I got a kid on the way. (laughs) Like, so everything was, you know, coming down and I said, all right, I'm going to find out what I need to do. And I just kind of, experimented with everything tried every approach possible you know and then and, and made it work and I think I've always said that since then it's just been refining that initial approach that you know there's just something to be said about if the why is big enough um the how it can always be doable you know what I mean like you can take an example if I said you know climb Mount Everest um it, you know you, you think man that is extremely difficult how the hell am I going to do that and, but if I made the why huge, like I'll give you $10 million in cash, you'd find a way to climb out of it. You
0: totally would. I'd start yes. training
2: tomorrow. You know, so, <laughs> so you can always, you know, inflate that, that, that why. And for me, it got inflated. You know, God, now I got, I've been led down the path by this kind of crook for a couple years now. And I, now I got, I, money's tight and I got a baby on the way. And so I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like the why was so huge, I just figured it out if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it totally does. It totally does. So what did you do? How did you go about it?
2: Well, I started reaching out to anybody I thought could um, finance, you know, like that had private equity. And yeah. so, uh, but at the same time, I started I put a business plan together. And one one thing that I could highly suggest to people that are looking to, to do this with themselves, make their own movies, is try to partner with the right people. Um, you know, I remember reading that years and years ago, that partnering is the quickest way to success, you know, and I thankfully had written a a pretty, a very good script and I was able to get producing partners that had about maybe at that time, 20 films under their belt. So obviously they had so much more experience than I did. The only difference was I had much more experience or at least much more technique. Let's just say, as far as raising money, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say experience. I had more technique. I had more, um, you know, Moxie and more, I was a better salesman. I was a better salesman than they were. They were better, nuts of both producers, but I still partnered with them and I think that's still a tip that anybody could take. Like if you don't, if you can't do it yourself, partner with somebody. Now, that doesn't mean reach out to me and say, Tom, can you help me finance my film? You know, that's not, Mm. that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, get the right people involved that'll uh, put strengths where your weaknesses are. See, that's a
0: really good point and I love that. I think it's very important, but there are, Difficulties in that with finding the right person. By that, I mean actually going out and going, okay, cool, I'm looking for another producer to join me on this journey. For one thing, where do you find them? The other thing is, uh, these could also be shysters and stealers and people looking to, you know, throw a quick one on you. And it happens a lot. It's happened to me, it's happened to you, you know, enough times, which you read about in the book brilliantly. So, where's the best place to find these? And I, I suppose over time, you realize the bullshit. Banner, you get that, you kind of see it. But any advice on where people can find these?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you you hit the nail on the head that it's happening, it happened to me so many times. So that's that's Mm -hmm. probably why I'm so good at seeing it. But, um, you know, now I identify it just way, way quicker, um, you know, by asking a certain amount of questions and and just kind of looking people up. But I think one of the best keys is is credits, you know what I mean? Like, nobody can fake credits, I mean, people can fake to a certain extent. Some credits, but not that many credits, you know. And, and so if you, they have credits on IMDb, you can also Google these people, look at them and see, you know. And, and the other thing that I always suggest, gosh, I, I spoke at the Producers Network in uh, Cannes, and I was saying to the, the people there, they were they were asking me on how to uh, qualify distribution companies. And I said, well, with anything, like a producer or any type of thing, if you want to work with somebody. Go look them up and find somebody in the past that they've worked with and then just call them or e- email them. Um, <clears throat> you know, never, I, I always say it's, it's a stupid practice to say, oh, hey, Giles, could you give me a list of references? It, and I've had businesses, you know, in the past do that or whatever. It's so stupid because it's like, you're only going to give me your friends. You know, it's, like, yes. it's a ridiculous yeah. practice. But if I just looked you up, found what you've done before, and then just randomly called or emailed some of those people, um, then I could actually get a, a true estimation of who you are. Um, and the key is, I always say, when when I personally get those calls or emails, I am so happy to talk about people who are awesome, but it, I'm equally happy to talk about people who are assholes.
0: Well, that's a funny thing, isn't it? That people will say, no, he's an asshole. Don't work with him. People are very honest.
2: Jobs, you know, the, like people that are true assholes, I have lost them jobs. So people call me and I'll be like, do not work with that guy.
0: But that, then they shouldn't be shouldn't be an asshole in the first place. That's the thing. But this, this business does breed a lot of that. It does breed a lot of bullshit artists. And it's, it's tough for first-time filmmakers and people trying to make their first project to get over that hurdle of these bullshit artists, even at, even at the level we're at. They're still
2: there. They don't stop. They're they're floating around. Can you know? It's like the key is is that it, you, yeah. The the people in the film business are desperate, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like they really, really are passionate about what they want to get going. So they'll they'll fall for any song and dance mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, you I get to do this, or I get to make my movie and get my dream come true, and that's why they they fall for it. Yeah,
0: very true. So just coming back to the the Attica moment, then. Uh, I mean, you, you managed to get a great cast. I mean, maybe they weren't that big a name as they are now, but Elizabeth Moss is, you know, she's huge now, you know, you got the, you got the director, Mary Lambert as well, who directed Pet Cemetery. Now, maybe you'll say at the time, Elizabeth Moss wasn't big, but certainly Mary Lambert was, how did you go about attaching a big director like that and getting your cast?
2: Well, that was, um, you know, again, that was just hiring the right people. Um, Mary, I'm not exactly sure. God, it was because this is going back. I'm not exactly sure how we got her. But I think it was through an agent friend that suggested some people to us. I see. Okay. And so that's, I think that was it. And she responded to the script. Um, now, we didn't quite see eye to eye. And, um, it did, and, but at the time, I didn't have the power to kind of control the movie like I can now. So I don't know if she did exactly the, what I would want to, to done with the movie. Um, but you know, that, that's neither here nor there, but Elizabeth Moss, she, yeah, she was, we had a, um, a great cast director out of New York named Judy Henderson, who is the, um, she won the Emmy for Homeland and she, it was just again, connections, that's again, partnering because I think Amy and Ison knew her or somehow, or maybe I knew her, um, through a connection and that, it just worked out. And so you had the, we had the right cast director that got us to Elizabeth and said, check out, check this garage. She's going to be a big star. Amazing.
0: And that's what it's about. And that's really interesting. You said that about connections and finding the right people. You have to go up to investors or uh, potential high net worth individuals and talk to them about your project.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How do you uh, what's the best process for actually approaching them? Or do you just call them? Do you friend of a friend, send them something first? How does it work for you?
2: Well, a referral is always the best, you know, because it, it, then, you, you know, it's like you have somebody else talking for you is always very good. Um, So that's the number one thing versus a cold because cold calling is is very tough and the numbers have to be so high to before you get that, you know, so it's it's a referral is always the best. So I'm always reaching out to people to asking them who they know. And, you know, can I can I get a meeting with anybody? And and that, you know, and of course, giving the people value for that, whether it's a credit or, you know, a fee, if, if the person invests, that's that's a huge technique that I use all the time.
0: I like it. Yeah, do do you offer perks as well? Is it kind of look, come to set, come to the uh, premiere? Is it all that as well? Is it all a package?
2: Well, yeah, to an investor, you mean, or to the person that introduced me to the investor?
0: Well, I I suppose both, really.
2: Well, to the person that introduced me, it's really more of a like a some type of credit or a fee or something like that, or Mm. a combination of both. Uh, But for the executive producer, yeah, I mean, like that's partially the reason that almost all of them get into it. Yes, they want to make potentially make the money and potentially make the big money but yeah. many of them just want to be quote unquote in the business, you know? And it's like, it, you can't say you had, you know, $20 million sitting around, you can't just call an 800 number and get in, uh, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, the, the movie business. So it's, you have to know somebody that's going to take it to the next level and, and it kind of, be, so you become the conduit, you know what I mean? So, so for those people um, that I've, They've been in my investors. It's like I got them in the business. Like now they have celebrity friends. Now the celebrity is texting them directly, and they're at the parties, and like that for them is huge value. And it's it's a world that I've introduced them to that they would have never had access before.
0: That's a great way to think of it, actually, and it's it's very true. They want to be in that world. Do so they love being at their parties, business events, or whatever? And they can say, "Oh yeah, I produced this movie. That sounds great. It sounds cool."
2: On the golf course you know say, <laughs> oh i invested in you know the bitcoin versus like you know hey um jessica alba just called me on the phone like what's going to be you know that's what's cooler you know what i mean like yeah. everybody wants movie stars so yeah
0: yeah absolutely yeah that would be a good phone call to have for sure um and speaking of um uh well we weren't but i'm t- t- talking about anyway the attic obviously we mentioned it before i just remembered here on my notes we have the same composer uh, mario grigorov he's composed oh. Oh. he's composed the debt. And yeah. he composed The Attic. I was like, that is a good
2: connection. He's actually worked for me a couple times, you know, and and yeah, he, I saw um, the trailer for The Dare and it looks fantastic, I did Thank want to say. And, yeah, you. it really looks intense. Um, but yeah, Mario was an early friend and funny enough, he's huge now. You I know. know. He, uh, yeah, he did the, um, what's the one? Not the Harry Potter, but what's after that? What's the? Um... Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, right and i mean like so he's a huge yeah, he did um, precious as well yeah big, big precious, yeah that's what got nominated for best picture he's a, and he's always been a sweetheart a great guy yeah, really great guy him. yeah he
0: did so well with the day i love what he's done with it so um yeah some of the music you heard there i think was some of his though it was an early tra- teaser trailer so i'm not sure if some of his is on there but yeah he's done the whole score for the day and i'm so super excited for everyone to hear it it's really good. Um, so then so then, from The Attic, you went on and made The Alphabet Killer. Now, The Attic was, we can probably talk about it now, was, it, it, you'd say now, a micro-budget film. But back then, it was, you know, pretty much nothing. But with, with The Alphabet Killer, you stepped up quite a bit yeah. and went up to, uh, you know, a reasonable budget. Would you say about two mil? Was that about right?
2: Yeah, it was about two and a half at the end of the Two and a half,
0: day. okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. And again, was it the same process there? You, you're now going, okay. Well, I need a lot of money now. Uh, how do I step up to that from what we did before?
2: Yeah, so that's exactly. You know, I just kind of said, um, let me look for someone who is the perfect fit to to finance this film. You know, and, and it really was. It was somebody that was um, a big fish in upstate New York, where the the killings took place. And, you know, I've I've used this example several times that if I had pitched him, you know, his family was worth a billion dollars, you know what I mean? like, And if I had pitched him any other, it could have been the most perfect project to shoot in any other city. He wouldn't have cared. You know, he wanted to shoot it there because he was a big fish and he'd be an even bigger fish there, you know? Um, Yeah. And on top of that, he liked true crime. So I gave him a true crime movie that we could shoot in his backyard and he loved that. So it was just the perfect timing to get the money. Perfect. Wow, uh,
0: and you had Rob Schmidt directing it. who did Wrong Turn, uh, and you had Elijah Dushku in it. Kerry Ouls. i pronounce it in the UK. Ulz, but it might not be.
2: Yeah, Elway, Kerry Elways, We pronounce it UK. Yeah. Okay. yeah, we had yeah. Melissa Leo, who got nominated for an. Oh, she won the Oscar actually. Um, wow, a couple years down the road, and then uh, we had uh, Michael, Michael Lyonside, Lyonside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Noonan. I mean, what a cast we had. Tim Hutton. You know, and, and so we had some Oscar winners and people. It was a pretty big cast. For a budget of uh, under three million, you
0: know. Yeah, back then, to, to to our indie film listeners now, that sounds like a lot of money. But we're talking two thousand and seven.
2: Yeah, I'd say two thousand seven, yeah. two thousand eight. Yeah, and it, so that was like a medium-sized, small movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, three million, you know, two and a half million would be fantastic. That's like Dallas Buyers Club. You know, <laughs> I mean, like,
0: yeah, that's yeah. decent, decent money. How, how did you get the cast attached for that? Because even then, there were still big names. Elijah Dusku was was a big name. How did that happen for you?
2: Well, again, bringing in the right people, you know, Rob Schmidt, uh, knew Eliza because Eliza was in wrong turn. So that helped. Right. And then, yeah. um, we also had a pretty great cast director that I don't believe is in casting anymore. Um, but she was, uh, Kelly Wagner and her partner was Nancy Nair, who still is a very big casting director and has done tons of the, you know, the grudge and, you know, all the, the hostile, all the big horror movies and all the ones that were big when we were making our movies. So, they you know so that and rob schmidt and then once we had eliza see so you now the right people in the right place that just started bringing more and more people to the mix and
0: did you what did you find different on this movie to the the the, the sort of lower budget the attic did you have more toys i mean because i know you you produced you wrote it as well and you starred in it but did you have a, a say in whether there was cranes did you have much was it a bigger thing for you with the second movie
2: well i was a little bit more experienced you know and it I, I was smart enough with both those films to just put myself as like a supporting role. You know, I, I was uh, mm. maybe the third biggest lead in in both films, you know. And it's like, so th- I did that. Like, funny enough, Tim Hutton's role is, in The Attic is, I got, I mean, in The Alphabet Killer. I got a lot of crap for, you know, I have a kiss scene with uh, with uh, um, Eliza Dishkin. And, uh, <laughs> and I got a lot of crap for that people say, oh, did you write that scene for yourself? And it's like, no, I actually wrote... Tim Hutton's role for myself and then once we started casting I'm like god's role is too good I got to give it to uh you know a bigger star and mm-hmm. so I played the role that I didn't want to play but uh, right.
0: but it worked you know, out well for you <laughs> worked out well indeed not only that but in terms of the critical acclaim you got for it you got some great reviews for both roles you played there um and that I mean that that pretty much set you on the map in a way and then people started playing a big interest in you um, well, yeah. how, yes. what changed for you? Because, you know, studios started calling you and people were very interested in what you were doing and
2: how you were doing it. Well, that was the thing was that, you know, once that, that, had, uh, those two films under my belt. And then I started, um, then I, I was getting my movie love and dancing finance and that was going, I, I just remember being in New York for, um, there was this group at the time, it's called the circuit that was like a working industry professionals, producers, directors, and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm the pretty girl at the prom. Like suddenly, <laughs> and I think it was because of the money, you know, is that, that I, cause I brought the money to the table and all of them had projects that they were developing, but no, nobody had a clue how to raise money. And then it was like, so everybody wanted to be my friend suddenly. And that was, that was, what was different, you know? And I, I think that was a, a cool thing. And then once I, once they put the book out there, then that was like, okay, now everybody wanted to learn, um, I guess what I had figured out myself.
0: Mm, Yeah. And it was a pretty, pretty impressive journey. And I think everyone was kind of felt like the Hollywood world was very shocked by what you've done and couldn't believe it. It was very Robert Rodriguez stuff, um, except you were raising money and that's incredible. You talked about love and dancing there. Um, now this was a, uh, you, you maybe you can tell me the backstory here, but the, obviously there's ups and downs with this, and the things that happen to actually get this made, which is a dancing film. Um, it stars yourself, and you've got um, you've got Amy Smart, you've got Billy Zane, uh, and Betty White as well. Um, yeah, it's wow, 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 wow. Uh, and that that was in theaters in 2013. Um, yeah. So you talk a little bit about the journey there and how that happened. That'd be great.
2: Yeah, well, that was that was really interesting because I had wanted, funny enough, to make a dance film for a while. Mm. Um, You know, if you know, remember, I said that early on. Yeah, you You danced. There was another, there was a different dance movie. The guy that screwed me, so I really wanted to make this dance movie. So I made a whole new dance movie that had nothing to do with the first one, and it was like, I guess the the key there was we went after and the, the, the dance was so specific. It was a dance called West Coast Swing. And we went after investors that were people in the West Coast swing world. And so, like, the people that had a vested interest in seeing this movie go that always wanted to see West Coast swing on a big screen, that's where we did it. I mean, we were advertising the movie at the U.S. Open Swing Dance Championships for, like, two years, you know? And it was like, we had a poster there, and we would talk to anybody that wanted to talk about it. And that was a smart move. That's how we first started getting the buzz out.
0: That's such a smart move. And actually, that's a great lesson for filmmakers out there they've got a, a film about i'm trying to think of something now that's out there tap dancing and it's similar to dancing but go to there's plenty of tap dancing places tap into that tap into their money see what i did there <laughs>
1: um
0: into them into their funds and their money there's bound to be someone who's interested in seeing a, a big tap dancing film on screen um or a golf movie or whatever it is that your movie's about tap into those investors, right? Is that the way, is it a good way to move forward?
2: Yeah. Because then you're going into the people that want to see that movie happening. Like think about Mm -hmm. your film and think about who would benefit the most from seeing this movie made, you know, your movies about, um, you know, I don't know, animal shelters or something like that, you know, who is, who is a celebrity that, uh, really supports animal shelters. Now that person may not invest, but they may know investors or they may get behind it. They may lend their voice. They may lend their, you know, Their name to the project as a producer or something like that. So, always try to look and see who would who would be interested in financing it. Not from a purely financial perspective, because if purely financial, that's that's every movie out there, you know, on varying degrees on on that pitch, you know. So, you just want to be able to get give them something else, something different.
0: So true, so good as well, Um, and great when that comes off. It's so great when you can actually talk to someone who's interested in what you're interested in. And um, and the goes well. Yeah, I, I want to. I want in on this project. Um, yeah, it's happened to me recently, and it's very exciting. Um, so you you initially started off to keep going with your acting career, um, and now obviously you've you, you wear these three, if not more, hats.
2: But yeah, I mean, I do it all. I, I co own a distribution and sales company called Glasshouse Distribution, and that I was didn't one-
0: know that Glasshouse.
2: Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the. That was the main reason we're in Canada. We have an actual booth in the Palais and we were selling movies. The key is what I did to start is I didn't sell anything I produced. It was a completely different world. Like everything I sold was acquisitions. You know, you complete a mm. film and then we, we sell it. And so that th- they, those worlds didn't mix this year. We finally took the company's money and actually produced a film. The one I just talked about. And, um, we were excited about it. You know, we got Brian Krause from charmed and Chase Coleman from the originals and, uh, it looks awesome. That's
0: awesome. That's what, how is it? Uh, well, trauma therapy, when's that out? Do you know when that'll be released? Oh, no, no,
2: we literally didn't even finish editing it yet. Okay, we shot cool, it. Cool. You know, we were done shooting like a month before can. And then, so it's in post, I would say two more months before. Two more months. Fine. Fine. I'll leave
0: uh, We, I'll, when that's ready, I'll, I'll let everyone know as well so they can see that. Um, so to, in terms of selling movies then and with glass house, that must be interesting being on the other side of it. That would be really interesting for us to know.
2: It really is. I mean, the more you know, the more you can try to tailor a project in the future. You know, it's like if I was to produce something now, I know, you know, a little bit more about what the buyers are looking for and what in, where their interests lie so that I know, okay, I you know, I, I know I can get this from China. I know I can get this from France and this from Spain, you know, um, mm. or, or this country, Middle East not going to buy this or whatever. You know, it's, I know those things before going in. And that's that's really good. I mean, that was the initial motivation for me was to have my own distribution outlet so that when I could produce a film, I know I can guarantee, you know, X amount of return no matter what.
0: That's perfect. I su- it's, it's a clever idea. But I mean, I, I wouldn't suggest it necessarily for people starting out. But when you have got to your level, it's something and certainly something I'd be interested in, in the future, having that little bit more control over where it goes um, absolutely is that something you did with screamers as well is screamers part of Glasshouse?
2: house oh, screamers was the last film that that, uh, that i really kind of um was super close with it, meaning like i didn't just produce it or just act in it like they, i mean that was one where i really molded myself that i didn't go through our distribution company we have uh, epic pictures slash dread central as the distributor um the main distributor and there's a foreign sales company called east west distribution but um i think now like if we produce screamers today we would at least sell the four.
0: That's that's cool. Okay, let's talk about screamers because I, I really enjoyed the movie. Oh, I, um, I I was I, I when I was started watching it because I didn't know anything massively about it, and I was kind of blown away by how you. It, it's a, a found footage movie um it, set in an internet company, and they decide to investigate this. Uh, series of Screamer videos. Now, are we allowed to tell everyone what a Screamer video is?
2: Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So a
0: Screamer video is where you're watching something and everyone's like, pay close attention to this. Something's going to happen here. Like something innocuous. And then something will jump out at you at the screen. It's like these fun shock videos. Uh, And in this internet company, which is all about putting videos like this online, they decide to investigate the team behind who made this particular screamer video that did very, very well. And lots of, uh, interesting things happen, uh, with the journey to what happened with, with the journey behind it all. Um, it, it's, I've really enjoyed the, the characters. And I think that's why it worked for me. It's a, it's a proper jump scare horror. It's really slow burning. It's yeah. what, what worked for me was the characters because you liked them and you got to know them. And it looks like you guys are filming everything. Um, can you talk about how it came about and how you made it?
2: Well, yeah, we wanted to, we mean myself and Dean Ronalds, the the writer, the co-writer with me and the director of the film. Who you've worked with quite a
0: bit before and a few other films. Yeah,
2: yeah, another movie called Ashley. He was the director on and uh, he would he worked on another movie called Hero of the Underworld with me, but he... Mm-hmm. It was a great partner, and, you know, we wanted to make take found footage to the next level. We had felt that a lot of the found footage movies were um, just, I mean, it was like stupid plot, shaky camera, bad acting, yeah. you know? Like, there was a movie called The Gallows, which yes. just checks, yeah. checks all three of those buttons, it but does. the bottom but it was scary. I mean, I'm not going to take that away. It was scary. It still part. still makes you
0: jump. See, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, jump. still sold yes, yes. and made money probably. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So what I did is I wanted to take it so it was like you really blurred the lines of what's reality and what's fantasy. And it was like – I re- you know a lot of people that have seen the film and had no expectations thought that it was a tech documentary for the first for the first 45. yeah I did I was
0: like what what's yeah. going on here yeah, yeah.
2: And, and then it just exactly then it just starts going uh, you know off on a tangent so we our thing was no shaky camera like there's almost no shaky camera in the movie um, have incredible actors you know we wanted it at the top besides myself we had some great people that were just that really nailed it you did and your, then, can I
0: read them out I want because I want to shout them out because they it's really well acted it felt so believable. That was oh. what was good. I really believed in all of you. Um, so, we, obviously, Tom's in it, uh, starring in it. Chris Bano, Griffin Matthews, Emanuela Galiussi? Galiussi? Yeah,
2: um, Gali-usi, yeah. Gali-usi,
0: yep. Theodora Miran and Abby Snee. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely cracking performances. And that's why people think they're watching a documentary, because we, we believed in the performances.
2: Hundred percent. Yeah, crazy. yeah. So, yeah. so you got
0: this great cast, and you were kind of like, right, okay, how are we how are we actually going to shoot it?
2: Yeah, you know, and that was it. It was like we improvised uh, pretty much all the dialogue. We we, did we made you? yeah, we made it off about a thirty five page no. outline, and we you know we really really went through every aspect of the script so that we're, where nobody could poke holes and say, you know, why did the guy just pick up a cell phone there? You know, those little moments in a movie mm-hmm. where it's like. Uh, couldn't have you just done this, you know, then so we made sure there was none of that. I mean, over yeah. and over again, rehearsing, rehearsing. And then once we got the set, it was like, it, it just was flowing out of us. We all knew our characters so well and we were in character that we knew where to go.
0: Right. And it, it, it comes across really well in terms of the camera work, because it does feel like you guys are holding the cameras. That was the idea behind it. How did you go about that? Because I imagine sometimes, I think Griff is actually holding the camera a few times.
2: He is. He actually, you know, he's holding the camera for some of it. So he got some training. But a great guy named Mark Davis was the um, DOP for the film. Um, and just, you know, he, he really knew what he wanted to get. Funny enough, I got involved, which I almost never do. I got involved with the look of the movie because I had found this camera called the Digital Bolex that, funny enough, doesn't exist anymore. But it was this <laughs> digital camera that was made to look like 16 millimeter film with the grain and everything. And so I reached out to them and they gave me one for free. I you know, whatever I quote unquote threw around my resume, they gave wow. me one for free and we used that. And funny enough, the company had just started and they went out of business. So I, I feel like we're the only movie shot on the digital bullets, but um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was fun. It was fun and it was different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Were you doing various takes of it? Were you knowing, cause obviously you're improvising. So I'm interested to know how, because this, basically this is a great way to make a, it felt, you know, it probably wasn't that low, but this kind of a independent movie where you can create something and you can create a buzz around it that feels like fan footage. Did you do multiple takes? Were you kind of working on that angle with it or was it literally two cameras and let's just go for it?
2: No, you know, we, we did, um, you know, we did multiple takes if the scene didn't feel like it worked perfectly, but... So many times, um, it just really nailed it. Now, Dean is notorious for never allowing one takes, <laughs> which is, you know, it, I I don't mind. I mean, I, the last movie, Trauma Therapy, I, they were calling me one take Tom, you know, because I was just yeah, just nailing it every time. But <laughs> Dean, Dean will not allow that. And uh, he always does two no matter what. And so there was always at least two. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes rarely it took maybe four or five takes to get it right, but most of the time, gosh, we were nailing it. I mean, the characters, we knew our characters so much and we played them so well. And, I, you know, I felt like I was a driving force in the movie to kind of keep pushing things forward. And it just worked.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely did. Definitely did. Um, uh, th- I'm really looking forward to people seeing this. Technically, I think by the time this goes out, the movie is out now and you can go see it. So, uh yeah, really check this movie out. It's Screamers. You're going to love it. You really are. If you like these found footage jump scare movies, just buy into what they're doing and go with it and enjoy it because that, that's that—that's what you should do. It's, it's a really cool film. Um, how how did you go about getting it sold then? How did you... Obviously, the people you know, and you can cut the contacts from your time, but how did you get epic pictures involved? How did that happen?
2: Well, Shaked, um uh, Berenson, who was like one of the co heads of it, um, they we they had come when they were just epic. They had come and seen a screening, an early screening, and and f- were interested in the movie. Then um, I was invited to uh, show the movie in South Korea at um, the Busan or Busan International Film Festival, and I went out there, and he was there, and you know I said, oh yeah, that's right, you guys saw the movie and you were interested, in, but it wasn't really you know nothing. It was like we were both like, oh, well, you know, see what happens. But that maybe so this was, say, six months later. And by that time, they had acquired Dread Central, which is like top three horror sites. You know, I think you yes. get 1.5 million u- users unique a month. And so that was a better pitch for me. You know, it's like they're Dread Central now, and they're going to release the film as a Dread Central release. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so we we kind of softly made the deal there and closed it when we were both back in L.A.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Wow. 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 And, um, is it, I mean, is it once you start making movies at that level and you keep doing them, is it easier to get deals? Is it easier to get people in the room to watch your movies?
2: Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. It's easier to get them to watch it, make deals. I will say it's not easier to raise money. I mean, maybe just a little bit raising money is always tough. You know, like we're trying to get screamers Two going. Um, I'm trying, there's a little piece of money we need for trauma therapy, very small. It's like, always a challenge but it's doable you know it's like you make it happen to keep grinding along and uh but on the what you initially asked about getting people in the room oh to see it it's it's so much easier now it's like there's so many places that i could take a movie once it's done that it's it's a no-brainer
0: that's that's nice place to be that's a really nice place to be congratulations from doing it and congratulations for doing so well um really good um i suppose in that turn talking about the finance there just just to give our listeners What's the best piece of advice you could give them um, for financing their movies, if there was any one piece?
2: Well, the one thing that I think I know is that the, the key is improving the project you know it's like i talk about this in the book i talk, by the way the book now is out of print because the publisher asked me to do a third edition I, I
0: was going to ask you you're going to do a third edition
2: i didn't want to do it i didn't want to do the third edition because it was just timing wasn't right but what i did do is i put it all on online as a video series called bankrollyourmovie.com and that's over five hours we recorded you know these videos and um and it's up there, so that's everything, and that's the newest stuff. You know, so bankrollyourmovie.com is everything that you know that I can teach you. It's, it's one hundred ninety seven dollars with a money back guarantee, and you get something. It's eighty one videos <laughs> over five hours of, of instruction that you can obviously go back. And once you pay, you go back and you can watch them again. Amazing, amazing. I recommend doing that
0: if it's anything like the book.
2: It is worth your money, much more. Um, but- files and everything you get busy with that it's much more comprehensive so yeah great. and I, I keep harping on improving the project like improving meaning you know attachments business plan you know uh, pitching more and more and so each time as you're improving it you're getting better and better as far as you know selling the movie and then just the right people will start to appear um, in your life uh, that that you could potentially fund the movie
0: brilliant absolutely fantastic advice screamers is out now yeah, I can't recommend it enough, honestly. It's so much fun. I really enjoyed myself watching it, and I was watching it on my own, and I was a little bit terrified, and I was like, oh, god. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Tom, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no
2: problem. Happy to, happy to be here, happy to be on the podcast.
0: Thank you. Where can people follow you um, online? What's your social handles?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, tommalloy.com is my website. Um dot as you can see, the movies that we represent. Um, but really, Twitter Tommy Malloy. That's uh, I, I got to get better tweeting, but uh, I'm out there. <laughs>
0: good, good. So follow him there, and uh, yeah, tweet him, tweet him about the podcast and his uh, wonderful advice he's given us. And what about you mentioned earlier about you know getting emails from people or getting scripts from people. What's the best way to approach you if someone does want to talk to you? Because I know that you help people with their projects. I know you come on board projects as a, a kind of mentor, necessarily associate producer, but I know you do that as well. What, but what is the best way for people to to actually get your attention with a project?
2: Well, you know, a script is a little tough now, you know, if um, unless there's some value behind it. You know what I mean? Like you have an actor attached, you have some money behind it. Um, but, you know, we have our own acquisitions guy now for the company, uh david lawrence uh so he's with glasshouse he's david at glasshouse com, and you can always reach out to him to try to see and if you have a completed film yeah we're always interested in seeing completed films but as far as script stage that's a lot tougher at this point because we have so many projects that we're doing that are farther along that it's just tough to get a script you know it's tough to get it from script stage unless it's you know the greatest script ever written uh, mm. <laughs> but even then, <laughs> even then even then yeah but even
0: then yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that. So do go to bankrollyourmovie.com. Check out all the info there, uh, and see what Tom's talking about. And he does know what he's talking about. The film Screamers out now. Check it out. Um, I'll let everyone know when Trauma Therapy is out as well, or at least, or at least you can see the teaser trailer. Tom, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it
0: pleasure Uh, and you guys thank you so much for listening we really do appreciate your time and effort in listening to this as well um remember to make your film you have to go out there you have to work hard and make it happen and if you do do well and rise up it's your duty to send the elevator back down until next time thank you bye-bye